is Seattle Sports Diaries Podcast. Now, here is your host, Mike, and the rest of the SSD gang. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Seattle Sports Diaries. Off, coming off the debut of BS Commentaries podcast last night. Riley, dude, the Seattle Sports Diaries podcast getting started like at BS Commentaries last night went super well. You should definitely, you should definitely. Congrats, man. I know you guys were doing it last night. Hey, you need to give it a listen, but uh, real quick. I, I don't, I, I can't condone the, the movie you guys reviewed. I hate that movie. Burn that piece of shit and uh, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Okay. So real quickly, <laughs> let us go ahead and welcome in our guest for tonight. My, and th- this is something that has been so near and dear to my heart. I, I've been waiting a long time to do this. My, my all time favorite NFL player. All-time favorite Packers player and all-time favorite Seahawk, Amon Green. Welcome into the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, man. How you doing? Dude, I uh, so I'm going to tell you, I already told you this, but right now I'm trying to hold in every little bit of emotion that I can. I'm trying to honestly hold back tears because I told Riley this last week. So I have a Mount Rushmore of of athletes I would love to interview on this show. You're on it. Nice. You were, you were one when awesome. I was growing when I was growing up, you know. I saw you play. I saw a couple of the games that you when you were uh, playing at, at the University of Nebraska for the Cornhuskers, and I was just yep. like, when I was watching when I was watching you, I'm just like, this guy needs to get drafted by the Seahawks, and <laughs> you know, it, it it got it made happen. I uh, had the pleasure of watching you in the Kingdom once, which was amazing. Okay, nice. And then any chance nice. I got to watch the Packers uh, on TV, I always watched just to watch you play, man. And it was, again, the fact that you're on this show, man, it means so much to me that you can understand. And I just appreciate the hell out of you for coming on. And again, happy belated birthday, by the way. Oh, man, I appreciate you too. And happy belated birthday as well. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm not in full agreement with what Riley said, but like I said, it caught me by surprise that you were breaking down and tearing up for a Titanic. I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, though. Oh, man. And, and how, how I relate to commentary on movies that, that we love, I'm a horror movie buff, okay? Okay. And so I do my podcast. Uh, when I started doing it, it was it's called the Amon Green's Gamers Lounge mm-hmm. podcast. And when the first, the parts that we haven't recorded it live in a while, oh, no, we have. But the one segment we haven't recorded live in a while, it was called Turning Point Segment. And in my Turning Point Segment, I broke down a horror movie on when the horror movie should have been a horror movie or it just should have been stopped because people had common sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in the Jason movie, when you watch that, it's that scene in the Jason movie when people are like, oh, let's run into the basement. Um, Nobody has no, common sense in those movies. Will get you. But in my in my point... <laughs> Yes, they do. 
I'm the guy that has common sense that says, Full way, no, no, run in the basement. Let's go outside to the running car with the keys in it and get out of here. Movie over. Bam. That's that's exactly what that Geico commercial, <laughs> that Geico commercial. Was. Right. So um, I was like, I've seen, yeah. So real quickly, Amon, oh, I want to show you this that I wanted to show you. So my dad got me this for my birthday a few okay. years ago. And I don't, I want to know, I, I'm going to ask him where he found it, but he found it out in Florida, but he got me a signed photo of you. Nice. And as you can see, it is nice. during your Seahawks days. And that's, yeah, it's one, of, it's that's... one of the most treasured things that I have in my collection. But I mean, I, again, nice. I still, I still want to know where he got it from. And I'm so amazed that it is actually you playing as the Seahawks. And let's get into that really quickly. So let's let's go back to was it 1998 was when you got drafted by the Seahawks is that correct yeah 98 um, was my rookie year 99 was my second year yep all right so let's go ahead and go to draft day you had to wait until the third round to even uh get yeah. a call and so what was it like just uh waiting around for that long of period of time just you know to get that phone call because you know from what I from what I've read back then, you were supposed supposedly you were actually a high draft pick at that point, but you went so, yep. you went really low for what that they right what they said. Yeah, um, I say so. I was told like before, <clears throat> like the whole reason I came out was the fact that between the agent firm that I eventually went with, which was uh, Lee Steinberg, um, um, Lee Steinberg and Morat. They basically told me and they recruited me that I would get I was projected to go late first round, early second round. And obviously being a sports fan and, and, and watching the NFL draft every year as a kid myself, I knew that was obviously worth coming out of college. Um, fourth round, third round was like, you know what, maybe need to cook another year. And I was OK with doing either either way. Um, but being told that I was going to be a late first round pick, I was like, all right, I think I got it. Uh, I, def I definitely understand it, and I feel physically I could do it, um, mentally as well. Uh, so be that being said, I went pro. Um, but then that day, obviously, like the day you're mentioning, the draft day was probably, as I think now, probably one of the longest days of my life because after that first round, which I did get a first-round call, and it was from the Kansas City Chiefs. And oh. they called, and they, if you remember, yeah, if you remember that draft, they took Victor Riley the big guard or big tackle out of Auburn they did. that year. Yep. And he would, they Kansas city was like the, I believe the 20th or the 22nd pick of the first round. So then after that, you know, a couple, it was like 30 minutes went by a few teams drafted and then it came down to the dolphins and the dolphins were like the 28th, 25th, 26th pick somewhere in there. And it's like, we might, you know, they call my agent to say, Hey, we might get, you know, we might take a on at you know our at our 20 late 20th pick of the first round but then they passed and john avery got drafted to the dolphins the running back out of uh, old miss great guy mm -hmm. great running back for his size he was a more scat back type um guy and then we hung out a lot so i knew him very well so i was like happy for him but obviously still waiting for me and then so for, first round goes by second round goes by and i'm like hanging out with my older brother jerry he was out there with me in california where i did my combine training at and uh, it was him and I had some close family friends that I grew up with in the Los Angeles area area. And so they were all there with me. We we're just hanging out, eating buffalo wings. But still, it's like, <laughs> man, where am I going? You know, it's a little taxing, anxiety kicking in, nervousness. Like, you know, am I going to get drafted? You know, what did I do? Did, did I 
you know, overthink myself. And, you know, so I'm just, all these thoughts are running through my head. And finally, you know, third round comes around. And then at the top, I say probably like three picks before uh, Seattle actually committed, they called and said, Hey, we're going to take a mound at the, at our, you know, it was like, it was like round three, pick 15 or pick 16 or 14. And they say, Hey, we're going to take a mound at the the 17th, at our next pick, which was the 17th pick in the third round. And so I was like, I just took kind of a big breath, like, Oh, thank you. Then I'm like, like I just told you off uh, before you went live, I said to myself, I'm about to make it a, you know, make it a career there. I'm about to spend my whole entire rest of my life in Seattle because I'm going to become just like Walter Payton became to uh, Chicago. I'm going to become that guy uh, at the running back position that every kid that sees number 30, if I get 30, um, that sees number 30 run the ball in a Seahawks uniform, they'd be like, okay, that's, that's the type of running back I want to be because when I saw Walter Payton, Bo Jackson, Walter, uh, Marcus Allen, those, those are the backs I, you know, looked up to. And it's like, this is how I'm going to run the ball. This is how I'm going to catch the ball. This is how I'm going to protect the quarterback and be a football player out there on that football field. So finally that came in. And now my thought was just straight, okay, training camp. I said, I can't wait to training camp. Can't wait to mini camp or whatever. That's how, I mean, I was, I've been an athlete my entire life. So I knew what the process was. You get on the team. Now you got to wait and uh, find out your your playbook, get get to know your teammates, get to know your coaches. Uh, so, so I was ready for all that 100%. And so um, now knowing that I'm going to be a Seahawk for life in my head, I'm like excited, let's go. But it was, like I said, it was a long day, nerve wracking. Um, I definitely cried once I got home because it was just something that um, you know, I was grateful for it. But then at the same time, I was just getting a little taste of reality, understanding that somebody could tell, tell me something that wasn't true and it's okay. And so I was just trying to, cause usually when I told people things, I told them the truth, you know, I didn't lie about stuff I'd done or good or bad, but now I was like, okay, now I'm in the business world where it gets a little different now. And there they could say things and do things that obviously you got to understand as a pro athlete now that, okay, it might be not the full truth, but it's some information for you. So I was like, okay. But once I got, like I said, once I got there in Seattle, I was ready to go. Definitely, man. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about your college days because you were an absolute stud at Nebraska. Um, 3,880 total rushing yards in three seasons there. Uh, your last season, you were a Heisman candidate. You were a Heisman candidate that year yeah. with a little over with almost 1,900 yards, 1,877 yards, uh, 6.8 rushing yards a carry, 22 touchdowns. I mean, you were an absolute monster that year, including uh, you played in the 1998 Orange Bowl where you rushed for 206 yards and two touchdowns. You guys were basically one of the teams to beat that year. I mean, yeah, I mean, take us through Definitely. that. Take us through that season, because, again, like I said, you were you were a Heisman candidate and I, and I was a little upset yeah. that you didn't that you didn't win it. <laughs> Man, um. So for me, the Heisman was like the MVP, so it wasn't no big deal. I wanted, I wanted the national title. You know, I want the the ring. I want that. And so, <clears throat> if I would have got, you know, the Heisman, I was nominated. I was one of the finalists that didn't make the trip, but I was close. Me and Scott Frost, the head coach for the Huskers, now we were like seven and eight, I think, something like that in the Heisman voting. But the game I wanted to be at was the game in Florida where we beat on Tennessee to beat them to share the title with Michigan, um, with them just beating uh, Washington State. But that season. You know, that for me started as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming in my junior year and now I'm a team captain. Actually, it's my second year as a team captain. I was a team captain as a sophomore. 
And then it's now, again, a team captain as a junior. And it was basically a privilege because I'm voted in, obviously, by my teammates. They show all my teammates, you know, pick me because they, they basically telling me they respect me. They, they want to follow me. They want to do, you know, do what we do, by, you know, by me leading them. And so it was a great feeling for that to happen twice in a row. And then now it's like, all right, now I'm the captain. So looking back to my freshman year, when you had guys like Tommy Frazier, uh, Mike Minner, Phil Ellis, Christian Peter, Jason Peter, those upperclassmen that um, Tony Velan that led us to our championship my freshman year. So now I was one of those guys. So I kind of was making sure I said and acted and did the things I needed to do like those guys did because they did it the right way, in my opinion, to get us to a national title in 1995. So I was like, I got to reduplicate that. Um, we just missed it my sophomore year. We lost to Arizona State early in the season. And then late in the year, we lost in lost to Texas in the Big 12 championship. So I was like, yeah, let's make all that back up. Let's run it back. Let's run it back and let's win this, win it this year. Um, and so that's what that was my mindset. And like I said, my teammates um, voted me in and then the players, all of us being on the same page that whole season. We had some we had a few tough games, but most of all, we were able to you know dominate. We actually came up to Seattle. We played the Huskies that year um, in the second game. I believe the second game of the season, maybe the first, no, second game. And uh, we played against those, uh, who was, I know, it was a couple guys I actually played with and against. Uh, Tony, Tony Parrish, the safety mm-hmm. um, for UW. He went. He became a bear. And so me and him played in that game against each other. Um, a few other guys too. But, but just that whole season was something that it was just hard work, just like any season, hard work put together in the offseason to carry us into January. And the game for us was a statement because obviously Tom Osborne announced his retirement. And mm-hmm. then for us, he was like, all right, we, we can't lose this game. This is going to be his last college football game coaching. So for that one reason right there, we're not going to lose it. And two, to show all the AP voters, you know, all the reporters out there that we are the true number one team, let's go out there and kick these Tennessee volunteers butt and do our job there, <laughs> you know, make it, make it a point to say, hey, we got to give these guys either the, the the championship or we, you know, we're going to split it with Michigan, which became, you know, what, what happened. We split it. And so for us still, it was it was bittersweet because we wanted the whole thing, but we know what it is. It is what it is. But we, we always said, I think we, I know a couple guys said in interviews, like we would have flew out to California to accommodate the Wolverines and kick their butt out there. That's what we always posted out there, um, talking and running into Wolverines through, through my lifetime because I've had, when I got to Green Bay a few years after that, uh, Charles Wilson became my uh, teammate. And that was the first thing out of my mouth when I said, what's up to um, Charles? I said, hey, Charles, what's up? He's like, hey, man, you know, welcome to the team. I was like, welcome to the team. I was like, you know we would have kicked y'all butt out in Pasadena. He's like, oh, man, whatever. <laughs> oh, man, whatever. I'm like, y'all, bro, I was like, y'all wouldn't have been able to stop the run game. I'm sorry. He's like, nah, nah. we would have shut down the pass. I'm like, we don't pass. I'm like, so what you would have shut down was maybe two pass routes. That's about it. It was just running the ball all day. So, yeah, we, we have that uh, fun conversation every now and then. But, yeah, that was that, that year was just special for, like I said, being a leader. And then Tom Osborne's last year to send him out on top was uh, was all part of our goals, goal sheet by the time we got to that game. Uh, Riley, you got a question for Amon, I know. Actually, you know, I think I got two, and he was just touching on it. So I was going to ask what it felt like to be a major cog as a freshman on your guys' championship team. I mean, I know you guys had, like, Lawrence Phillips that. and Tommy Frazier, but – but you know, like as a freshman, you played a really big role, and you said, well, it, you said "Are we losing uh, audio?" Can you hear me? Can you hear us? I hear. Him. Do you guys hear me? I can. I can hear you. Come on, can you hear us? Oh, okay, so it's not me. I'm here. Oh, 
Okay, so he'll just that. he'll just come back on. <laughs> yeah. There's always something. There's always something. <laughs> There's yeah, always something on. At least you're not choppy today. Yeah. I, I tested. All right, Armand, can you hear us? Yeah, I got you. Okay, right. so so it's just so it's just on your side. So it, there's always there's always issues on here. There's always at least one issue. Nothing's ever smooth sailing. Yeah. All right, okay. Riley, go go ahead and continue. All right. So what I was asking, man, is like uh, how how it was to be you know an important cog in your guys' championship team in '95. Like you rushed for over a thousand yards, even though like Lawrence Phillips was in that background and Tommy Frazier, which were both um, really big ground threats and all around threats. Right. Uh, and you know they got the top of the billing, but at the time, and I think it still stands right that it's a uh, fr- it's a it's a record for freshmen at at Nebraska. Yeah, it is. It's still a record. Um, and for me that season, I was I was I was I was on a goal like I was able to get goal oriented through high school with my mom and dad. And my my junior year in high school, that's when my mom set me down and like this is how you lay out your goals in life that you want to do things. You got short-term goals, you got mid-term goals, you got long-term goals. And so by my time, my senior year and then freshman year at Nebraska, senior year in high school and then freshman year in Nebraska, I was a master at putting down my goals. And I remember my freshman year, right before training camp, I put down like three or four little goals and said, look, I want, I don't want a red shirt. I want to, I want to play right away. Um, I want to, you know, have like a 3.5 or above GPA. And I want to help this team win a national title. That was, those were like three of my main goals. You know, have, have good grades in school, um, you know, be a part of the team. Don't matter if I'm doing special teams year round or, you know, because I knew I probably wouldn't be the starter because a guy like Lawrence Phillips, great running back, great human being. Um, and then let's do what I can to help this team win. You know, I told I remember right before the season started, right after training camp, Coach Solich, the running back coach, asked me, you know, Amon, do you want a rusher? And I'm like, basically, no, I want to I want to play. He said, well, you know, you won't be a starter. You'll be probably more on special teams or what, you know, doing those positions. I'm like, I'm okay with that. I'll punt return. I'll kick off return. I did it in practice. I I can, I can catch the ball. I did it in high school. No problem. He's like, okay. And then uh, he said, uh, well, we're thinking about giving you number 30. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, really? <laughs> and I'm like, because at that time, Mike was, that was, you know, Mike was year's number, but nobody had worn it since he wore it. And so I'm sitting in, this is, that was 1984, this is 1998, five. So 11 years later, I'm like, you want, you want me to wear 30? It's like somebody saying, Hey, after Michael Jordan retired here, you could take 23. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that's how it hit I me, love, though. I as love kid, comparison. I love that comparison. Right. So as a kid growing, you know, I'm from Nebraska. So everybody knows about micros year. So it's like, you asking me to wear who number? Like, Oh, okay. So I was a little nervous, but I'm like, let me think about it, because the numbers I asked for, I wanted 34, but another uh, another player had it. So I went home, went to my dorm room. I called my my older brother up, the one that was with me in California for the comp for the draft. I said, bro, it's like they asked me if I wanted a red shirt. They said, well, they was like, he's like, what you say? I said, no. He said, good. He said, good job. He said, you could play. I know you could play. He said, what else? I said, hey, this is hey, this is crazy. They asked me to wear number 30 though. And he's like, he got quiet. He's like, okay. All right. So what's the problem? I'm like, man, you know who wore that before me, right? He's like, yeah, I know, you know. Yeah. So he said, so what? He said, don't worry about who wore it before you. You you grow your own, you you fill your own shoes. He just said that, just like that. You fill your own shoes. Don't worry about filling his shoes. 
he's a great guy, great running back, won the Heisman, all that. He won a national title too. But you come in and do you, you do a mine. Mm-hmm. I think the kid, you know, everybody's going to have a good time watching you. And I, and that kind of like settled me down. And then I went in the next morning and said, Coach Ellis, give me number 30, let's go. And uh, from that standpoint, I was locked and loaded. And a little thing that – I say little things popped up. You know, I, I played since day one, since first snap. The Oklahoma State game, I played right away. It was fourth quarter. It was cleanup time. I think we were up 30 on them. But still, to me, as a freshman, this is Division One college football. We're on Thursday night football, ESPN. Everybody's watching us. Um, so I get an opportunity, even if it's the fourth quarter, I scored a touchdown. I think I had like 50 yards rushing in that five minutes of, of burn, uh, burn time. And so – there, I just started to slowly build my confidence up. And then the next game, we played Michigan State. And then that's when, unfortunately, my, my teammate Lawrence gets in trouble. He gets suspended. He's suspended. He's on probation for six games, so he's out. And then we go down the list of the next running back up. Next man up, boom, it's uh, Clinton Childs. He plays a few games. He gets hurt. Damon Benny plays a few games, gets hurt. And then the next couple uh, running backs that's left is myself and Jay Sims. And then uh, – Coach Alfred makes the decision to put me over Jay. And still to this day, I don't know, understand why he did that, um, but he did. And as a player, you, obviously you just go with what the coach tells you. And so I was when I went in there. I, by that time, six game against Missouri, I was ready to go. I played a lot as backup cleanup. And so I was really cl- uh, used to the flow of the game. I remember the first time I came in a huddle with Tommy and the offensive lineman, Tommy Frazier, offensive lineman. I remember it was Aaron Taylor and Aaron Graham, the center and guard. They both yelling at me. Freshman, we're going to put the ball in the, the DD end zone right now. You better get your mind right. I'm like, yeah, no problem, guys. I am listening to you. You can yell at me. I got it. Ball in the end zone. <laughs> don't fumble. Yes. Done, sir. <clears throat> I was like, oh, my God. These are my linemen. I'm like, <laughs> I was like excited and, and, and like I thought I was going to die at the same time. I'm like, oh, man, this is so geeked up. But are they going to kill me if I don't score? Like, what's the problem here? I'm like, I need to. Get the ball in the end zone. Don't fumble, AG. So I was like, all right. So I was hyped. So it was good to have that that welcoming from these guys, being a true freshman in that huddle, and they're just hyping me up and getting me ready to play because it was just – and so that right there just get, made me comfortable. Tommy was like, hey, AG, just keep up with me. You better catch the ball when I throw it to you, when I pitch it to you, and run hard. I've seen you do it. Stop thinking. React. Just be a player like you are. I'm like, that's all I need to hear, you know? So it kind of got me going. And that's how I was the whole season. And when I got in there as a starter, it was like I had been doing it, you know, I had been playing all year. So just following that that whole season, it was a great feeling to be a part of that team. Like I said, it was a goal of mine. And when Lawrence came back right before the bowl game, you know, it was like a big question mark, you know, is Amon going to feel, you know, that, you know, him, Lawrence coming back in, going to, you know, worry about his job. And it was like, no, we're friends. We were friends at first and before we were teammates. And then, you know, something that he was doing along that time, he was suspended. He was helping me out, like, in between class. Like, he still had school. You know, he had to go to class. And so, in between classes, we will hook up with each other, and we'll go over practice stuff. Like, he was like, all right, we got Kansas this week. This is what their linebackers are like. You know, they like to play this defense. They like to play this coverage. They like to blitz certain times of the game like this and this, that, and the other. So, Kansas, Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma, um, Colorado games. He, I was getting, you know, I was watching film with, with Coach Solich, Coach Osborne, and my teammates, but then me and LP was breaking it down from what he experienced as a player playing against those defenses. So I was getting his point of view too. So I was more than ready mentally and physically to play against those teams. So that's another reason why 
it helped me through that season as a freshman. Like I had my team and teammates had my back guys on the field and guys off the field like Lawrence during his suspension. He helped me out, get my, you know, get that nervousness, nervousness out of there, anxiety out of there where I could just go out there, have fun and play football. There you go. So real quickly, be, me being as a UW fan and you uh, winning a national title and sharing it with someone, answer this. Huskies won the national title in 1992. But yeah, every every that. single every single idiot out there in Oregon keeps saying, oh, it's not a real title. Coming from someone who actually has a shared national title, does it it still counts? No, it still counts. Thank you, you very, thank you very fucking much. It still counts. <laughs> thank you. First of all, I'm on. Thank you very really, fucking Riley, much. You I see your face, Riley. You <laughs> oh, I, I just, I always give him, I always give him shit because he hates on Oregon. So I'm always like, I always send him, I always send him you dub, or Oregon duck gifts, and 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 uh, anytime I can, anytime I can just do it, he's like, he's like, oh, we we want a title at U Dub, and I'm like, all right, buddy, here we go, like. With the 49ers, we won the rings in the 90s and the 80s, living on past glory. Ain't done shit in like two decades. All right, all right. That's enough of that. That is hilarious. I, I could tell by Riley's look on his face. I was like, he's one of the people that's giving you a hard time. Yeah. Always. All right, so so here's a really good question for you. Let's go ahead and get into your pro, pro uh, professional uh, debut and basically your first two years uh, in the – you know, in the NFL, let's talk about this. You you were playing behind uh, veteran Ricky Waters at in Seattle, and you were able to uh, you were you were uh, coached by one of the one of the greatest head coaches that I think has ever been a part of Seattle Seahawks history, and Mike Holmgren. I mean, talk about that. What was it like actually being you know on a team with Mike Holmgren and also being the backup to one of the better running backs to you know basically go out there in Ricky Waters. Um, it was all just a great, I'll say it was a learning experience, probably the best, toughest learning experience I ever had. Uh, cause I was excited out like with Ricky, I'll start with Ricky first. So with being with him for two years, you know, I was learning what a professional is like, um, and do's and don'ts that professionals don't do, you know, and watching that from a distance, like as a player, he worked hard in practice as a person, you know, he was a great family man and he had to, I know he, by that time he came to Seattle, he started rapping. He started having, he had a little album out and all that. So I learned there, you know, just by making sure I don't have too many things going on at the same time, you know, cause you playing for pro football and then you try to be a rapper. I could, he would, he would tell me, hey man, it's kind of, it's tough, you know, trying to do all that at once. And I'm, so I was like, okay, you know, try not to, or I say overwhelm yourself with too many things because you have the <clears> opportunities <throat> to do that because of what your, your, your platform's on. So it kind of helped me there. Um, but the, we had some funny, we had some interesting situations on the football field during games. I remember one time, Ricky, uh, it was, was it pre, I think, I think it was preseason. If you remember, they had drafted another running back that same year as me, Michael Black from Washington state from Wazoo. Mm -hmm. And we were the rookies. We we're the two rookie, rookie running backs. And this might've been a preseason game. If not, it was an early regular season game and we're playing. No, it was midseason. So Michael was still there. It was midseason. I remember now. It was against the Broncos. That's what it was. And so this was the defending champ, Super Bowl champ, Broncos in Kingdom. Actually, so this was in 99. Uh, no, was it 99? No, it was my rookie year, 98, excuse me. And anyway, long story short, so I became the third down back like halfway through the season. And so I'm, I go in there for third down. We pick up the first down, and the coach puts his hands up like, I'm on, stay in there, stay in there, you know, keep rolling until we get another first down or until I tell you to come out. 
So I did. I stayed in there, rolling the ball, pick up another first down, another first down. Then we end up punting. So I come off to get a rest, and Ricky's like looking at me. He's like pissed off. He's like, "Man, what they doing? How they blocking? Why are they blocking for you out there? What play was that?" And I'm like, "Huh?" I'm like, "Uh, I'm not know what to, how to react to this, but you're my teammate." I don't know. I just said, I don't know. I just ran the plays that were called. That was it. <laughs> he was like, what? Man, they blocking for you. He was all mad. He had a lip you know, pucked out like a little five-year-old. I was like, oh, man. I was like, this is weird. I said, this is so weird. I never had a teammate react. Like, coming from high school and college, your teammates, like, giving you a high, hey, man, nice run, and this, that, and the other, man, good, man, you ran that dude over, good score. And then I got Ricky saying this stuff to me. I'm like, how am I supposed to answer this? I don't know. If they they supposed to be doing their jobs, but they blocked for me, that's why they did it. I don't know. So I was like, let me not say nothing. I'm a rookie here. I'm just <laughs> filling this thing out. Um, let me just be quiet, like just shake my head. I don't know. Um, but then the next year when Holmgren came in, Mike Holmgren. And so backstory on myself a little bit. I, I grew up a 49ers fan and I knew he was a 49ers coach. He coached Joe Montana, um, Steve Young, uh, Bono as well. Some all the quarterbacks that have been through there in the late eighties. And so I'm like, Oh my God, I got this guy who's already been to a super, a whole bunch of super bowls with the 49ers. And now just won one with the Packers um, beat new England back in 96. And now he's coming as a coach here. I'm like, I'm so excited because I've been wanting to be in the offense that Roger Craig was in that he was a former Husker as well. He did well in this offense. So I know if he could be good in this West coast offense, I know I could do my job too and be good for them. And so I was so excited came in i learned like right away i kind of got the playbook right away i think it was because it was just a light install during mini camp and then during training camp that's when the heavy install where everything went in and i got it was so many words so many formations so many verbiage things that i had to adjust where i kind of i was so overwhelmed and full of nervousness that i just was not getting the plays right away and i was having a lot of mistakes i was worried I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to make it through training camp. I called my agent. I remember was, I was so nervous that I was so worried about that. I called my agent up and I said, hey, can you call over to the Mariners to see if they need a center fielder? They're like, "Mom, what's, so, what's going on? I'm like, look, this playbook is kicking my butt. I can't remember the plays. I'm running the wrong way. I say, let Ken Griffey know I can back him up. I'm a little bit faster than him, and I, and I play baseball, too. So just let the Mariners know if they want a backup for Kane Griffey Jr., I'm your guy. Wow. So we almost had him on green. We almost had Bo Jackson in Seattle, basically. <laughs> basically, because I was like, I can't – I mean, I couldn't – I was reading the plays and just getting lost. But then finally I started – you know, I, I just, just started grinding. I put my head in the playbook and staying up late at night. And then finally it started to click again. And so then midseason, that's when – I started to get on Holmgren's good side and uh, and getting a little bit more carries and the game time. So, you know, I was like, all right, I get it. I get this NFL thing. You learn the playbook. You learn your coaches. You got to be a little bit more in in the game, you know, that is not on the field. You know, you got to get to know people and all that. You know, I wasn't wasn't a talker. You know, I was more my friends that I had in college and high school. They were I'm more gravitated to them, but then I became the leader of the group because I was a kid that I had goals, I had things to do, but I wasn't a big talker. And so I had to learn how to, okay, I got to start talking to my teammates, get to know them. You know, that's part of this game of being a professional. You got to learn who's around you, which I did on some levels, but like for everybody, it was more like if I felt comfortable around them, great. If not, I just go the other way. But now I was learning how to come out of my shell 
to be more of a, I say, open teammate to people and then getting past that. I think that helped me, you know, with my whole development as a pro athlete not, and, and, and as an adult anyway, because I was still I got drafted at 21 years old. I was a kid. And then 22 and in, in 90, 99, you know, I'm a kid. So I was still learning how to just be an adult, not just be a, a professional athlete and an adult at the same time. So it was still coming along by the end of the season. And I think if I was still there in 2000 to 2000 season, everybody would have saw what um, what you found out later in Green Bay, because I was ready. Like the, the 2000 season, I was so ready. I remember at the end of that season, we, we lost to the Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs in the kingdom. And, then a week, uh, the next day, we had our meeting, our year in. Uh-oh, did we just lose the feed? Sorry. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Coming back. There we go. There we go. All right, there we and, go. And uh, I told him, you know, yeah, sorry about that. And uh, he said, uh, Amon, if you come back, you know, you had a great year this year. Come on back. Can't wait till the next year that you could give Ricky a push for his starting job. And that's all I needed to hear. I was like, that's it. I said, yeah, it's on. Um, I Because I know competition. And I had friends in high school that I competed with at running back at linebacker. And it's about the best man who plays. It's not, it doesn't hurt our friendship and things like that. So I knew, okay, let's go. That's all I need to hear. And then boom, I'm in green Bay. <laughs> well, like, let's, talk, okay. let's talk a little I'm bit like, about that. Um, like, what we, happened to see? Yeah. What yeah. We, to be in the, we got a couple more. Ricky and I'm like, I'm in back, I'm back in the Midwest. Like, okay, <laughs> I get it. All right. All right, we got about we got about five minutes left until the baseball segment starts. So, real quickly, I want to talk to you about your career here in Green Bay. Uh, You set multiple records in Green Bay. You still hold the record for the most rushing yards in Green Bay Packers history, um, including. uh, I also want to bring this up. You had a night. You you're one of the only players in Green Bay history with two ninety-plus yard rushing touchdowns including a 98 yarder against the Denver Broncos. And so the question I have is like, what was your takeaway from your career in green Bay? And the first time you ever got to do the Lambeau leap, how good did that feel? <laughs> oh man. I'll, I'll start with that second question. Lambeau leap was awesome. Um, it was great. Cause I've been watching it on TV as a kid forever, ever since Leroy, but Butler did it. And I think it was 1992. <clears throat> um, so that was great. It just, you got to be ready for the beer that's going to get poured down your back. It was a Miller Lite <laughs> going fresh down my back cold. Uh, so that is an experience that I say, if any NFL player can experience it as a Packer, because if you go up there as the opponent team, you're going to get, you're going to get rejected. You're going to get bounced out the club. So hopefully you're a Packer and you can do a Lambo league. You can enjoy it. Um, what, and then what was the first part? First question. Um, so uh, you set multiple records in green Bay, including yeah. the most rushing yards for a running back out there. And uh, your your best season there, you you uh, you set multiple records. You had uh, again the most scrimmage yards of anybody uh, in the NFL that year. You had over two thousand scrimmage yards, mm-hmm. including uh, almost nineteen hundred rushing yards, uh, fifteen touchdowns, uh, an extra five catching. So you had a total of twenty touchdowns. But let's talk about that ninety-eight yard touchdown against the Denver Broncos. That one was oh. unbelievable because I remember watching that game and. Let's see what year was it? This was 2003. So I was I was 13 at the time. Yeah. And I'm watching this game and all of a sudden I just start screaming, "Run, run, run." And my parents are like, "What the hell is the matter with you?" And I'm just losing my mind when you get into the end zone. And I'm I tell my parent I tell my parents, I'm like, "Oh my god, just ran it back 98 yards." And they're just looking at me they're like, oh, "God, man. this kid is crazy." <laughs> so I mean, talk about that. 
talk about that 2003 season because you were also you got a couple MVP votes that year as well. Yeah, yeah, that that season was kind of like, you know, my going into my first year in Green Bay, you know, because like my first year in Green Bay was my third year in the league. And if I would have been in Seattle, that would have been my like welcome to the party type year. I believe I could have blew it out the water for it being a Seahawk running back. But I go to Green Bay, I come in um, being Dorsey Levin's backup. And so between that year to 03, 03 was my coming out year because it was my third year there. So I had to reestablish myself and uh, be his backup for half a season. And it was just prime. Um, I had, you know, two, a thousand yards coming in. In the 2000 season, I had 1100. I had about 13, 1400 in 01, and then same thing in 02. And pro, you know, both of those years were Pro Bowl years. And so now I was like <laughs> ready to go. I remember my my speed coach, my training coach, for the combine. He knew how fast my 40 was. Um, that I was at that time before I ran my pro day 40. It was like a 4-3, you know, low 4-2. Um, and then at my combine, I ran 4-1. I went 4-1-7 and 4-1-8. A lot of people don't know that. And my pro day at Nebraska. So he knew then, he's like a mom. He said, we're, we're, you're going to be the next guy that goes 99 yards or 98 yards like uh, Tony Dorsett did. And you might do it multiple times. He said, that's how fast you are. People don't know. People just see how big you are because you're muscular. But you got elite speed. Like, Dude, you, you, were, you, were, so, dude, you were fucking fast. You were so fucking fast on that field. Right. It was people, it was unreal. And it was like, yeah, and like it was interesting. Like some of my teammates, like uh before that season, I think it was either that season during practice. I remember the day before one of our practices, Darren Sharper comes up to me. He said, AG, man, I heard you was fast. I say, he's like, you don't look that fast when you're running. I was like, okay. I said, come try to run me down next time today if you can. <laughs> I said, let's go in practice. He's like, all right, I, I am. And so it, it did. So I had, a, I had a run. I got out and open. And I just turned it on. Boom. And he came running at me and he like, oh, oh, he's like, oh, pulled up. He's like, oh, God, dog. I said, so am I fast? He said, no, AG, you fast. He's like, I'm not going to even, I'm not going to doubt that ever again. So, but yeah, it was just a coming out season. I had been in that offensive line, offensive form, offensive group for that three years. And so we just got to know each other. And I said, what, what made that season pop was just the gelling of me, Mike Wall, Marco Rivera, Mike Flanagan, Mark Tauscher, Chad Clifton, Kevin Barry. Those are my guys up front that protected me and Brett. And then we got like, so we got close like this, like you and Riley close. Like we could trash talk each other. We could talk crap out on <laughs> each other. We could talk about, I know Marco, he will always mess with me. Hey, mom, next time I see your sister, or oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a get her phone number. And I'm going to call her up and this, I'm like, dude, back up. I'm like, chill, like back God. up, man. You know, y'all you played at Nebraska, y'all suck. You know, he was a Penn Stater. He's like, Y'all suck, y'all terrible. We, so we would go back and forth. So we got to know each other. And then we was more of a family that type thing. So we could get at each other, even if we if we're having a bad practice or a bad game, like, bro, man, you better step it up. What's wrong with you right now? Like so we could have those tough conversations, and that's what pushed each other because we we all held each other accountable, you know, for our job. So if we didn't do our job. It wasn't the coaches that we were worried about yelling at us. It was one another. It was our teammates like, oh, my God, I don't want Mike Wall in my face right now because he's about, he's he's a beast. And I don't want him yelling at me. I don't want Brett yelling at me for doing something I shouldn't have been. So it was that accountability that made us play at a high level. And that's the way, the way that season went for everybody. I mean, along with the run game, the pass game was on point. Donald, Javon Walker, uh, Robert Ferguson, they all had great seasons along with myself, Tony Fisher and Najee Davenport in that backfield. I mean, that year – it's still talked about today. I still live here in the Green Bay area. I'm sitting in a blizzard right now. 
and, <laughs> and I see a fan. They that's the that's yeah, that's the season they they pull up, you know, they pull up and talk about is the 03 season and the 98 yard run, um, the yardage, the teams that we beat that year, the way we came back out of you know, not going to the playoffs and all of a sudden we're in the playoffs and we beat the Broncos, the Vikings lose to the Cardinals down in Arizona on the same day. So it's just us doing our jobs to get us to the playoffs. And the only thing that sucked is we played Philly and they got that fourth and 27 completion or fourth and oh. 24 completion to get in field goal range to end our season, which was, we probably would have been, that was the team for us. That was a Super Bowl team. If Philly. You... We, were, we were, no, you guys back. were Super Bowl we were teams. Super Bowl team. Yeah. Um, Riley, before uh, Amon gets out of here, do you have one more question for him? Um, no, no, I think I, I think I think we kind of covered what I was what I was getting. It was the questions that I had. He, he did a really very, very good job of, uh, of, of covering <laughs> it all. I really appreciate that. All right, man. So, yeah. uh, Amon, no, before we it, if it ever, whenever y'all do the movie, you do the movie one, you got to hit me up. I got to be on the no. next movie one. And if it's a if a chick flick one, I'm gonna dig in on you like Riley. Just be ready. <laughs> <laughs> so actually we we have the lineup right now we have the next three films we have um so k hard oh. he's he just chose the second movie so it's going to be the legend of scott pilgrim that we're going to do together the next oh, wow. movie the next awesome movie the third movie is actually dante's peak he's never seen it before he's never seen oh, dante's, boy, peak dante's peak before yeah you and then dante's peak oh yeah and then uh, the fourth movie is actually going to be our first Disney film, which we're going to bring in our Disney guy. We're going to do the old Sword and Stone movie. That's a good one. Yeah. Good so uh, before you get one. out of before you pick. get out of here, Amon. Uh, first of all, y you mentioned how you were twenty one. You were you know you weren't an adult, dude. You're still not an adult, dude. You play video games for for a living now. You 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 got a Twitch stream and everything. You're you're doing so well for yourself outside of the NFL, but. Before I get you out of here, Amon, again, I'm still I'm holding everything in because I don't want to break down right now. But Good. this is th th this means more to me than any than I think you could ever uh, imagine, dude. When I was growing up, I had idols in every sport. I had Ken Griffey Jr. as baseball. He's my all time big time hero in, in sports. With basketball, it was Michael. He's Jordan. mine and for baseball for sure. Yep, <laughs> yeah, too. Michael. I'm not a baseball fan, and, but I'm a Ken junior Griffey. fan. But um, in hockey, it yep, was Paul Correa. I, I love Paul Correa growing up. I that that's a big reason why I was a Mighty Ducks fan. But um, growing up, right. you know, with with the NFL, I didn't really have an idol until you came in. Until you came in, I I was willing. I was oh. I didn't care that you were the third down back. I was like, this is my guy that I'm going to cheer for. And when I and you know, I like you I said, like I said, whenever you went to when when you went to Green Bay. Any chance I got to watch you play, I watched it instead of the Seahawks, which is which is a little kind of bad coming from a Seahawks. <laughs> but That's funny though. That's funny. It is. But um, Amon, I want to take this opportunity to say thank you so much for doing this. And like I said, anytime I do another movie commentary, I'm I'm going to invite you. The next movie that I after Sword in the Stone. I'm actually going to invite you. You have that invite. I want to do the next movie commentary after the sword and the stone with you. I already have it picked out. I think you'll love it. Um, I'm not going to reveal it yet until, nice. until that's okay. I yeah, like surprises. I, I like okay. surprises. Okay. Like so um, I do have to ask you this. How's your DVD collection? Is your DVD collection strong? Very strong. I'm about okay. 500 okay. deep. Okay, so you might have the movie. And you I have might an have actual the... disc. I don't. I don't like. I'm not a cloud guy. 
I don't. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> no, I'm a I don't blame you. If we have a post-apocalyptic shutdown, then I can still watch movies if I have electricity. Because if the cloud in a post-apocalyptic world, there's no cloud. There's no streaming. There's only electric <laughs> no. power. That's it. So at least I could watch my dozens of thousands of movies that I own because I know what might be coming in the future for America and the world. Until, there you go. until the power grid seen in the movies, they're telling <laughs> But yeah, so, exactly. so like I said, power, if, yes. If you don't have the if you die don't have the movie that, that die hard, what movie where you shut down everything? Yeah. yeah. So if you, you don't have the, hard, the if you don't the have the DVD, hearts. if you don't have the DVD, we'll just do it on Amazon. But uh, again, Amon uh, Riley, thank you so much for joining me. And again, Amon, dude, this th- this really means so much to me. It, 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 again, you were my hero growing up in the NFL, and. I cannot wait to do uh, another podcast with you here uh, down the uh, next month. Next month, we're going to do the the podcast together, the movie commentary together, and I'm looking forward to that, cool. man. I I will send you I will send you the calendar invite. That way, you 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 free up that you free up that day. Bet that sounds good to me, guys. Thank All right, you, man. Justin. Have a great night, Appreciate man. You. Later, Amon. All right, Amon Green, everybody, and uh, Riley. I bid you uh, so long until next week, brother. Yeah, we are. I don't even know. We don't. Even, I don't even know how much NFL news to talk next week. Um, there's not a lot going on. There really point. isn't. <laughs> um, we've got a while until the free agent until the free agent tag windows, uh, hmm. free, uh, the franchise tag window closes, and well, I don't know. Well, we're gonna see. I mean, last week we had the Super Bowl. It was a uh, for us Seahawks fans. It was kind of a sad deal. We uh, we had <laughs> we, really had to, we had to see LA celebrate, and had to watch LA continue to celebrate. So uh, I won't take any more of your guys' time. But yeah, no, I mean we we can do it next week. Definitely, man. Have a good night, brother. Later. And joining me now is a uh, Mariners beat writer Ryan Divis. Dude, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to uh, talk a little baseball with me tonight. Uh, not a problem, man. It's all good, dude. First of all, uh, we got, our hat game is a little strong tonight. I got the I got the uh, the old Negro League Seattle hat. You got the old style Rainiers hat going on. I love it, man. Yeah, I kind of had to when I found out this was video. I had to throw a hat on. I, I was taking. I fell asleep uh, in the in the chair and I was looking a little out of it. So I figured I better throw a hat on or something. And so I have I have a lot of Rainiers hats. I mean, I don't you know I can't really be a fan of any team, but I have. I'm a fan of the Rainier's logos and stuff, so I have about, I think, 10 different Rainier's hats. Sorry about that. Yeah, but dude, man, I mean, hey, the hat collection, you, you're you're strong with that Rainier's hat collection. So let's real quick talk some Mariners. Uh, uh, not really much to talk about with, uh, of course, the MLB and the ML, MLB Players Association not coming to an agreement. You know, 15 minutes is not really a long meeting uh you know like i think it was kevin pilar that said it he has bats longer than that um, yeah but it, it's it's getting frustrating for a lot of fans especially myself who um looking so forward to the 2022 season for the mariners because they had such an incredible run last year just missing the playoffs by one game but i mean this this was going to be the season that they ended that that drought and now the season is it's in jeopardy of getting delayed and not only is the season getting in jeopardy, but uh, my Florida trip's looking like a golf trip now because I was I was going to go down there and watch them play the Rays in the in the Marlins, but so I, and I'm hoping that it's it doesn't turn into a golf. Well, it'll still be a golf trip even if I go watch the Mariners play. But I mean, what is going on really with this with this lockout situation, man? Um, you know, it's 
it's basically just two sides that really don't trust each other, don't like each other. Um, you know, and, and it's kind of got to the point where they're also acting like, I don't know, like a college student and they're waiting until the last week of before finals to actually do anything to start studying for the final, you know, and that, and that's kind of where we're at. I mean, like next week they're going to do a lot of supposedly going to bargain every day. I think, you know, the 15 minutes today, they dropped off the, the, um, MLB dropped off an offer and then, you know, the players kind of ended. I don't know that they were going to meet for very long or they just want to give them the offer and have through the weekend knowing that, uh, they were going to, you know, cancel spring training games and, and, and all that stuff. I, it's just, this has been coming a long time. Um, basically the core issue is, is like players M- MLB in 2019 before COVID made $10 billion. And the year before that close to $10 billion, major league baseball, despite, you know, all the issues with popularity and stuff is a multi-billion dollar industry. Meanwhile, player salaries on the average have gone down. Um, because teams don't spend as much on free agents, especially older free agents. You know, the median salary has gone down. Uh, less and less players are what you would consider millionaires. I think, you know, only 30% of the players in Major League Baseball make over a million dollars. So like, all these things have kind of factored into it. It's basically like the players are saying, hey, you guys are getting rich, and and we're not seeing all the benefits. And the owners was like, well, you guys are the idiots that made this last CBA and we don't want to change now because we think this is the best way to do it. And now it's just at a standoff and they're waiting for somebody to blink. Honestly, to me, what what that basically sounds to me, it's just the the, the owners are just it's a bunch of bullshit. But I mean, it, it's it's unfair really to the players, because, again, we, we also saw just a couple of days ago that. MLB wants to fire and let go minor league ball players. And this is, it's such a horrible mistreatment of, you know, players like that. And of course, uh, you know, the minor leagues uh, don't, the the players association, they don't represent the minor leaguers, which is really uh, terrible. And again, you know, the, the players association, they're not asking much from what I saw. they're, They're not asking for much. They're, they're asking for the minor leaguers to get a raise in salary which I think should actually happen because it's it's ridiculous how, you know, uh, uh, players like in single A, they're not even making 10 grand a year for, for a season. You know, really, these these players should be making it, you know, among the, you know, between the, I want to say seventy five dollars and $100,000, you know, starting out because that way they actually can, you know, make a living. And, and also they're asking for, for minor leaguers to also get paid housing because, again, you know, the cost of living, especially here in Washington, not cheap at all. Not cheap at all here. So, you know, it's fairly reasonable demands by the Players Association, but it's just like the, the owners just don't want to give. And really, I'm on the side of the Players Association because, you know, there's there's some people are saying, oh, it's a game versus millionaires versus billionaires. And I think uh, Casey or Paul Seawald, I think probably spoke out on that. All right. It might've been Casey Sadler, but it's, it's not the case because uh, Sadler put out that he didn't even make $45,000, you know, a couple of years ago. And it, it, you know, people don't know who's making what. And it, and it seems like that's the big key here is that, a lot of people don't understand that the that most of these players do not make that much money. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, 
like the, and the thing is, is like you can't really argue like it's millionaires versus billionaires. There's like I said, there's not that many millionaires in Major League Baseball. There's more than than the average, you know, the average population. But again, like if you compare it, and all, and the thing is, is so like of all, you know, so there's 40 of the 1,200 players or so that are in the union because it's all the guys on the 40 man roster of 30 teams. So of those 1,200 players or so, there's probably a little bit more than that because, you know, you're talking about free agents now and stuff that ha- that were on major league contracts. So of those 1,200, you know, not all of them are millionaires. Like we said, you know, only, you know, maybe 30%. And meanwhile, of all 30 owners, they're all billionaires. I mean, they're all billionaires. You know, that's because they don't win on the team otherwise. So that's an, that's an issue. You know, with the minor league thing, it is a problem. I don't know that it's the big one because, like, to be perfectly honest, like the players association, yeah, they want to get minor leaguers paid better, but it's not like their priority. They just want players that are younger that they, well, they, what they'd really like is to have be free agents after five years instead of six, because what you're seeing is, is teams now just don't give free agents over the age of 32, the five-year deals anymore. They, they've realized uh, teams are smarter. They, with the data and the advanced analytics, they realize that a player's downside starts at about 31 to 32 years old. That their their skills, their production, all start to wane after that age. So they're not going to pay out as much. You know, the days of Robinson Cano getting a a 10 million dollar or a 240 million dollar contract at age 34 or 33 just not going to happen. <laughs> you know, um, so there's that aspect mm. of it. Um, they would like arbitration sooner if they can't have free agency sooner. They just want younger players paid a little quicker, uh, which mm-hmm. is why they came up with this bonus pool for players that are pre-arbitration eligible. You know, the the Jared Kelnicks of the world. There's a rookie, say like a rookie a few years ago when Ronald Lacuna came up and had a monster year before he got his contract extension. But with the the plan that the Mariners want or with the, the players want, and even the owners understand that they need to do you know, a player like that gets a bonus based on, you know, their performance. It's just kind of arguing with whoever. The players also want, like, teams to be more competitive. They feel like too many teams are not trying to win. They're trying to do these rebuild things and not spending money on players. So that's another reason why salaries are down. You you know, you look around the Mariners for the last few years, their payrolls was unbelievably low because they were rebuilding, you know, and that's a plan that a lot of people have followed. What they want to do is they want to have less teams rebuilding. They want to have, you know, change the revenue sharing, all, all these like major core issues, which the, the owners are never going to give in. I mean, like if you look at it, they're not that far apart on what they really want to get to. Cause I think the players know that they're never going to get to free agency sooner and they probably won't get to change the time to arbitration, but like this bonus pool, raising the minimum salary for major league player for the major league players on the 40 man roster, all these different things. And they want to end the service time manipulation because like, look, owners oh, are that's ruthless. a big thing. Yeah. Owners are ruthless. You don't get to be a billionaire very often in business without being pretty ruthless and pretty, you know, bottom line oriented. And that's what these owners are thinking. Um, and so, and really it's different, you know, the, I would think kind of like most fans believe what you kind of are believing, you know, that you're on the player side. Um, but the owners have most of the leverage in all of this, you know? And so it's, it's really strange because, you know, if you look at baseball's place in the sports landscape, it's, it's dwindling a little bit, you know, NFL is so far above everyone else. And then, you know, you have the NBA and you have major league baseball, you know, you throw in hockey and soccer to the lesser extent, but again, like people are spending their dollars elsewhere and you, you can't, 
you know, because games are long and all these other reasons like people are drawn away from baseball. Well, a work stoppage and missing games and all these other things is going to to diminish your fan base even more. Now, I don't think like exactly. the diehards will ever go away, but it, it, it's a problem. And like I don't know if they're going to fix it. I think, honestly, the players will probably blink a little bit more. Um, but yeah, you're right in the sense of like, I, I would find myself being on the player side too. And I think a lot of people would, because like, look, you know, and if you look at it kind of where we're at in the country, there's a dislike of the excessively rich, you know, the wealth gap in this country <laughs> is, I mean, the, the wealth gap in this country is so large right now, you know? And I mean, like, like, like take for the example, the Mariners specifically. Mm-hmm. All right. I understood all the reasons why they did their step back rebuild a couple of years ago. It was smart. They were getting old, you know, it, it, you know, they, but they had never really invested money the three years before that, the four years before that. Yeah. They had a payroll of 170 million, but they could afford to go more. They never went all in. They were always lukewarm. They always say, Oh yeah, we'll add this. But you know, like the one year in seven or in uh 19, I would have been 19 or 18, you know, when they had crews and, you know, all the, and they were up on the A's big and then the A's were catching them at the trade deadline. They went out and got Zach Duke and Adam Warren and Cameron Mabin. Those were their trade deadline acquisitions because they didn't want to spend money and add to their payroll because they knew the team was aging out and they were considering a rebuild. Well, that's fine. But like, so then they, you know, they tear it all down. They get rid of Zanino, Paxton, you know, trade Cano, Diaz, don't re-sign Cruz, all these things. Yeah, they strip it down. They say, we're going to rebuild. We're going to do it fast. But over the next two years, in 2019, when they knew they were putting out a poor product on the field, did they lower ticket prices? No. Did they lower concession prices? No. Nope. Same in 2021, even though they, you know, they had the success they did, they didn't know they were going to be this good. They didn't expect it. Did they lower anything? You know, obviously 2020, there were no fans. So it's like, I get it, but so many times where these teams, they decide they're going to rebuild and they're putting out a poor product on the field, yet they expect and demand fans to pay full prices for not watching a, a truly major league product. I mean, like, you know, it's it's one of the few businesses where, like, you don't, even if you don't try and do a good job and you don't put your best best or your best effort forward to to do your job properly, like as the owners and putting a team together, People still go and they know that and they make money either way because of the collective because of the um, revenue sharing, like, you know, because the other teams like the mm-hmm. Dodgers, the Dodgers and Yankees and Cubs and all these other teams that pull in money. Well, they help subsidize the Marlins and the Rays and the A's who aren't spending the money. So it's 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 just a weird thing. And like to me, I just don't have a lot of sympathy sympathy for these owners. You know, they always want, they always demand, they always ask, and they're always asking you to spend the dollars. But then when it comes down to it, how many of them actually spend the dollars? We live in a society where most of us are in a state of debt. You know, most of us live in a constant state of debt, car payments, you know, house payments, credit cards, all this stuff. These guys don't have that. So it's like, for me, how can you sit there and tell me that you're going to have that and then but you're not willing, you know, I'm willing to extend myself to spend money on a product, but they're not willing to extend themselves to spend money on a product that they're trying to charge other people for. It makes no sense to me. Exactly. All right. Um, before we get you out of here real quickly, uh, I do want to ask this. My co my baseball co-host wanted to know uh, about the uh, third base situation for the Mariners because uh, they haven't locked anybody up for 
you know, basically the seeable future. People are saying, you know, Adam Abraham Toro might take that position, but there's still uh, Chris Bryant is still out there and available. And there was, and there was rumors circulating, circulating around that the Mariners would sign Chris Bryant. So uh, just a, a quick, a quick little uh, summary. Do, who do you see as the Mariners future third baseman? I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I, I understand all the reasons they want to sign Bryant and he's such a logical fit. Um, and it's just, you know, you throw the Scott Boris factor in there and, and now with the way the off season is, it could compress really tight. So maybe they, they get outbid at the last minute or something like that, or whether or not Bryant really wants to go here. You know, I don't know that Chris Bryant is the same MVP player. He was, you know, his rookie year is, I think it was his second year or his rookie year. But like, you know, he's a good player and he's certainly better than Abraham Toro. I think if Abraham Toro is starting at third base, they, things have gone wrong at, at in the off season, or they've dumped a lot of money on Trevor story. And they went out and got an outfielder instead to add the bats. Cause they need to add two hitters to an offense. that's terrible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if Toro's your starting third baseman, then something else has gone wrong, you know, and that's, that's going to be a problem. I mean, all obviously besides signing those two guys, they love Matt Chapman. They've looked at the possibility of trading for Matt Chapman, whether or not, you know, that happens, you know, that I think that's the last resort is trading for Matt Chapman because he'd have to give up. You don't have to give up real dudes to get him. Whereas like if you just do free agency and sign somebody, that would be ideal. Definitely. All right, Ryan. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining me tonight, man. Uh, so uh, real quickly, man, I know you're an av- you're an avid golfer. Is that not correct? Yeah, I golf a little bit. Yeah. All right. Yeah, definitely, man. Here in a couple weeks, uh, if you're not down in if you're not down in Arizona, I don't you're out in Montana, though, aren't you? No, I'm back in Tacoma for the next few days, but I go to Arizona next week. Oh, okay, okay. So, uh, well, yeah. Either way, when you come back here for the season, man, uh, let's uh, get together. Get definitely uh, go golfing sometime, brother. I'll see what we can do. All right, man. You have a good night. Yeah, take it easy. Now we welcome in our uh, hockey specialists. We welcome the K Hart, the man, the myth, the legend. What's going on, brother? Hey, how's it going? How's it going, man? It's uh, interesting. <clears throat> interesting, interesting couple of days. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah but... I, I something happened or another. Um, I think that uh, that this Seattle team won. I think um, <laughs> I thought I lost my job. Uh, that's what I was told. Anyway, I was I was ready to go file my unemployment, but uh, then I was let it DM don't. So I'm like, here we are again. Yeah. So but, uh, uh, and then hey. Yeah, and then also uh, next Thursday, man, we're doing the podcast, the movie commentary podcast, The Legend of Scott Pilgrim. So uh, yes. looking forward to that because uh, yes. last night's uh, movie commentary was actually a really big success, man. You missed a really good one. <laughs> See, all I'm going to say is it would have been a five-minute show if you had me talking about the Titanic. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all I'm saying. So you better be glad. I don't I know. Uh, like, if you if you actually would have listened to the podcast, Michaela, who joined us last night, uh, yeah. she was, she was absolutely incredible. I need to give her another shout out. Um, she was absolutely incredible. I look forward to doing more movie commentaries with her. We had Amon green on here, uh, just for the first 40 minutes of the show. He's going to be doing a movie commentary with me here in a, uh, next month. So he's okay. looking forward to, to that. But, uh, we already have, uh, the third movie picked out after the legend of Scott Pilgrim. You know what it is. It's going to be Dante's peak brother. Dante's yeah. peak. We're going to be doing. 
And I'm excited. Uh, yep, yeah, that's it's that's going to be a good one because you've never seen it before, right? I've never seen it before. Yeah, so that's so gonna, that's going to be exciting to me. You're, well, you're going to like, come out, huh? Ninety-seven. What year did it come out? Nineteen ninety-seven. Okay, so I was only two. I was only <laughs> two. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we have John Forslund jo- joining us here in a couple minutes, but uh, before we get to that, let's go ahead and talk about the game that you got fired. You, you, you what, like where you you temporarily got fired. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, first of all, I could not believe that they pulled this out—a four to three win over the Ducks—and it was. <laughs> I mean, I could not believe it. Both uh, Ryan Donato and Jordan Eberle, uh with the the game time goal and the go ahead goal, um, and it was just I I you know when I first was watching this game, I'm just like you know hey you know both both teams are are playing hard because at the end of the second period, it was tied three to three. So yeah. I'm just like, okay, this is interesting. Especially when, it, it, when, when Ryan Donato though scored that good, that game tying goal, I'm just like, okay, this is getting very interesting because I was thinking in my head, they were going to go to overtime and then the ducks would just win there because we all know the crack and stink in overtime games. Or if they would, if they went to a shootout, they were going to lose no matter what. Because the only game, the only game that they won in a shootout was the game that saved your job, when yeah, uh, against the Blackhawks, yeah, when Jonas Donskoy scored that winner. So it was amazing to see. <clears throat> but uh, um, you know, this was this was a I- interesting game because this was this was the first of not many games where the the power play unit was uh, or the the PK unit was out there twice. Didn't give up a goal, but this was also a game where uh, the uh, the or excuse me, the Ducks scored on one of their power play goals. Uh, the the Kraken, of course, did not score. So, but the, the Kraken power, PK unit has not been very helpful uh, these past couple days. But here we go. We got our guest on here. We have the man, the myth, the legend, John Forslund, joining us for a third time. John, how are we doing yeah. tonight? That's a hat hey, trick, isn't it? Hey guys, how are you? Oh, we're we're doing great. I, I got the yeah. USA jersey rocking. K, K- Hart, this is this is K Hart's first time actually. Yes, this uh, is my first time. chatting with you because he, he missed the first time. Thank but uh, now we get to have mm-hmm. you on here, and we're we, we're we were talking about the the game where the uh, the Kraken just edged out a win against the Ducks, and I was telling him that uh, I I tweeted to him <laughs> saying that uh, if the if the Ducks lose the game, he's fired because I was I was expecting a loss towards the ducks wow the what a fan that, wow well, <laughs> but, well the I odds mean, are kind of going that way anyway right so that's right. that's a fair bet that's a fair bet right now. so so talk a little bit about this game because uh both teams with 27 shots on goal it was a pretty even evenly fought game uh with uh both ryan donato getting two goals in that game jordan everly with the uh the 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 game winner and the first time that he scored in, uh, what, 22 games, was it? Yeah, 22. You're right, 22 games. And what I remember about that game is how poorly it started defensively. It looked like they were – the Kraken were way out of sorts. And then they, they kind of found it. They got more organized. And as the, as the game progressed, um, played a way better defensive game. And it showed. And were able to be patient and keep grinding – a couple of really good plays. Austin, uh, Austin Zarnick made a, a heck of a pass to uh, on one of the goals on Ryan, one of Ryan's two goals, and then uh, Vince Dunn, I believe, had a be- beautiful play in that game too. And there was nothing better than the winning goal. 
It was a great pass by Giordano up the middle of the ice. And then Shane with a little backhand dish across, and uh, Everly finishes the play. It was a good win. It, it was a it while really back. Was, it it was a good it was a good win. Uh, I feel like on the duck side of things, we're playing to get to overtime, not to win. It's that's really wrong. frustrating. That's wrong. That's, just, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And I'm not yeah. the one who sees it. That's just what's happening right now. Unfortunately. Well, you can't play that way. You have to play with the intent on winning. And if you're trying to get to overtime, sometimes you'll get burned. Um, yeah. Most, most coaches will, will go to that. They'll, they'll want their teams, even though the players, it might appear that they're trying to get to now. You do make an excellent point because as we get down the stretch here, as we get into the games after the trading deadline, uh, they will try and get as at least a point, right? So right. you will see a lot of teams be really cautious and, try to get that point to stay in the playoff mix and then take their chances in overtime or shootout. So yes, I do think that's part of it, but most of the coaches will say that you get killed in the NHL. If you're cautious, you know, they say that safe is death. They don't want to play that way. They want to play with a little bit more aggression because you will, you will make mistakes, but nine times out of 10, you're not supposed to, if you're playing that way on your toes. Yeah. I agree. Um, Agreed. Uh, one thing that really stood out in this game was uh, the fact of how very well composed Chris Drieger was in net. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with you uh, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a goaltending issue for the Kraken. It's more of a defensive issue, but the yeah. goaltending has not, it has actually gotten better. It's, it's truly gotten better as the season has progressed and yeah. Drieger showed a lot of composure in this game. Um, even though he get again, he gives up three goals, but he doesn't, he doesn't really kick himself. He's just like, okay, I'm not going to allow one more goal. I'm going to make sure that we stay in this game. And he did his job. I mean, what exactly are you seeing from the Kraken goalkeeper goalkeeping units, uh, in both Chris Drieger and, uh, Philip Grubauer, just these, uh, just these past couple weeks. It's better, but there's another level for both guys and they need to get there. And unfortunately they can't. And, you know, that's the problem, you know, that they both Philip and Chris can't gain any traction. They, they have a good performance and they'll have a so-so performance to a bad performance. And it's, you're right. I, I felt most of the season, especially the front end, the first two months of the year, there was some blame pointed at goalies that I didn't think was right. I thought it was more defensively, but, you know, the problem here is that they just can't get the traction you need because if they did, I think Axtall would allow either one of them to go on a run and play. Um, so we'll see about tomorrow. Um, I'm expecting Drieger in Calgary. Um, we'll see. And I don't, I don't look at anything beyond the next game because the way the team's playing right now and the way both goalies are playing, you know, if you if you come out there and you're solid, then you deserve the next start. Yeah. Um, so one play that really stood out to me that uh, I wanted to talk about this. It was I love I love the call that you made because we actually have it on our intro on this on this podcast intro that uh, Jonas Donskoy's first goal of the season not 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 official goal but it was a shootout oh, goal shootout. against the against yeah. the uh, uh, the the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean yeah. that had to feel real good for Jonas Donskoy because again uh, we've we talked both me and Khart. Uh, have talked about it like numerous times. Uh, you know, Jonas Donskoy is playing at a great level this year. He's just getting those unlucky 
uh, times that the, the, the puck is not going into the net because uh, honestly, I think he should have had, you know, between 15 and 20 goals at this point. But I mean, it, it, he's still one of the top scorers on this, on this uh, Kraken team. He's doing very well when it comes to assists. But mm-hmm. I mean, what has been like, I mean, is it, is it just the, is it just bad luck or is it just, he's coming up against good goaltenders? Um, no, I, I think there, there, a lot of that is true. Um, I, I think what we have to keep in mind here is you look at what other contributions are being made. Uh, he's a pretty good two-way player. He's a big, he's a part of uh, either penalty killing unit. He's been a strong penalty killer all year. So he's making a contribution. I would say that, you know, there is some bum luck. There's also some overhandling of the puck, which goes along with struggling to score. Uh, you're going to get a caliber goaltending in the NHL most nights, like no matter who is in there. It's a good, decent goalie that can be very, very good. And a lot of them are a caliber. So, you know, I, I think the goalies deserve some credit, but I think in his case, it's that it's moving around from line to line. He just, again, he's like the goalies, the traction isn't there for him, but I do think to be fair to Jonas, I think he's made a contribution. And I think that's why when he scored that goal and he has that release of energy and his teammates, you see how these teammates reacted they're feeling for him, but they know what kind of guy he is, an excellent team guy within the locker room. And, uh, you know, they, they're just pulling for him. And that, that game against Chicago, the first afternoon game, Martin Luther King Day, that was a tremendous atmosphere in the building. We've had a lot of that. We've been blessed with a lot of great uh, situations with our fans. But that day, it was just wild. It was, it was a great hockey game that went to the shootout. And remember Marc-Andre Fleury, how great he played in that game for Chicago. So that was a fun game. Definitely was. Um, agreed, agreed. Uh, so this, so last night, uh, the Kraken uh, broadcasters made history uh, yeah. in uh, uh, Edmund Fitzhugh and uh, JT Brown became the first African American uh, TV broadcasting duo in NHL history. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of an accomplishment. And I know you as a uh, a future Hall of Fame broadcaster because you, I've, I've listened to you for a lot lot of years. You're you're one of the best in the business you're definitely going to be going into the hall of fame, hopefully here soon. But I mean, what was it like to, to just listen to that game uh, with uh, both Fitz and JT Brown on the call? Because not only were, not only is Fitz a a tremendous broadcaster, I love, I love his calls on the radios. um, But you know, JT is a brilliant color analyst and, and those two, I want to say make a great uh, team in the future here. Oh, they do. And, and, you know, for me, I just hope my future isn't tomorrow, you know, like I'm, you know, I just got here, so we're not going to, you know, I don't want to get pushed out the door here because they did such an excellent job. Let me just say this. It's about time, you know, like it is, it is history, but how come it took so long? You know, like, thank God this happened. Um, When you hear both of their stories and I was familiar with JT because he was a player and a lot of the things he did, um, uh, were, were well documented. So I could follow some of the causes that he was behind and really admire that in him. But I never really, I didn't know Everett at all. I've gotten to know him now and, uh, and know where he's coming from as a fan and knowing that it was hard for him to relate to players. And he was a fan of the Edmonton Oilers growing up in Detroit because Edmonton had three players of color and, and he could relate to it. And so to hear all of that and to see him now matriculate his way up through the minor leagues get a chance here, get that opportunity last night. It's, it really was a situation that worked out great for everybody. You know, I was given an opportunity to do the NHL on TNT Wednesday night, 
Uh, we looked at trying to get me into Winnipeg, at, and this was about a month ago. It was really hard to do. And then I knew the Kraken would make the right choice. They could have gone a variety of different ways. They decided to reward Edward with, uh, Everett with this opportunity and put the Big E and JT together, and, uh, and they delivered an outstanding broadcast. My travel got a little bit screwed up yesterday, so I locked in for the last two periods. Um, I've seen the game back now. And they did a they did a very good job. And you're right, they have great chemistry. Um, I'm very proud of the chemistry that JT and I have have come up with here in a short period of time. But all four of us do, along with Dave Tomlinson, who does a great job as the radio analyst. So I think we have four really good broadcasters. I'm a little biased in that department, but I, I do think that uh, we try to earn the trust of the fans. That's all we're trying to do here and have some fun along the way. And they did a great job with it last night. Absolutely. As I love what they did yesterday. I'm so proud of both of them. So proud of them. Yes. And, and you and, should, and uh, should be. We all should yeah, be. Yeah, we definitely I'm, I'm trying so hard to get JT and uh, Everett. I accidentally made the the name mistake, Ed Edward. I, I cannot believe I uh, mixed up his name. But yeah, Everett and JT are just a great team together. I would love to have both of those guys here to talk some hockey with them, especially JT. He was one of my uh, favorite players actually uh, over the last couple of years. And I was yeah. uh, really upset when he retired because I was, it, it was just, uh, it was the year before the Kraken got their name. I think that he retired yeah. and uh, I was really hoping that the Kraken would give him a, uh, you know, have him as a hockey player, but you know, we get just, we get the next best thing. We get him on uh, as your uh, partner in crime in, on the, te- in the, on the TV side and you yeah. two do such a great job at what you guys do. And uh, JT is uh, one of the smartest human beings that I have ever seen uh, commentate on hockey because he j- he he knows exactly what the game is like because he's been there. And I love the yeah. fact that – and you're absolutely right. You, uh, JT, Everett, and Dave, four of the best commentators in hockey are here in Seattle. I'm so thankful that we actually have you guys here. Um Another thing that I wanted to talk to you about is uh, the Olympics. A little bit of a disappointment in that uh, kind of uh, stretch. We had the USA men's team, unfortunately, go down uh, to Slovakia. Uh, Matty Beniers had perhaps one hell, just an absolute one hell of an overtime. Um, Basically, he was practically the best skater out there for the United States. And uh, I think a lot of us here in Seattle were a little peeved off that we didn't see him in the, in the shootout uh, because uh, you know, I, I saw a lot of Kraken fans voice that take uh, and, I, and I'd love to get your take on that because uh, you know, it, it, it's hard for us, Ameri- it's hard for us uh, USA, you know, to watch, watch that game and, you know, unfortunately not get to the gold medal game. And uh, so, yeah, definitely your thoughts on uh, that game and the, the fact that Matty Beniers was not, I think utilized properly in the end uh, in the shootout. Well, that could be the case. I, I did not see the game. Um, you know, the, 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 the unfortunate thing here with the NHL playing during the Olympics is it's impossible to keep track of everything. I was supposed to call the Olympics for NBC. Um, and that was the plan if the NHL had involvement. And then I almost went, even though the NHL wasn't going to be involved and kick off the women's tournament to the majority of the women. But then when our games got rescheduled, the first game was slotted in February 9th. I was going to have to miss maybe four or five Kraken games. Um, And so we decided, you know, we weren't going to do that. But my point is, 
I never comment on any game unless I've seen the game. Um, I did not see that game in question. I've read all about it. I heard about, I've heard, I've seen the scouting reports. I know that he's a promising player. I know that he has a bright future with the Kraken. I know that he should go to a tournament like that and be a good player. Uh, to be fair, it's a tournament that's a, a scaled down version. There's, there's some really good European players in there, but I think the competition he's up against at the collegiate levels around the same, around the same level. So he, he did go over there, quit himself very nicely at a couple of points. I know he really played well in that overtime because people were texting me and telling me all about it. Um, but, uh, you know, we look forward to his resumption of his college play. Let's see if they can win a national championship. They should be a favorite. They have a stacked team. They have a lot of first-rounders on that Michigan Wolverine squad. Oh, my should, God, yes. They, they should do well. And as soon as that's over with, whether they win the title or if they get eliminated early, I'm sure the Kraken are going to open up a conversation and every effort's going to be made to bring them to Seattle, get them acclimated to the team, giving them opportunity to play, you know, probably post-trading deadline and get him in the mix here. Cause like, like I said, he's a huge part of the future as everybody knows. Well, yes. I sure hope so. I sure hope you guys <laughs> play him sooner than later. So uh, I know you, well, it's a I tough know league. You... I, I, let me just yeah. caution you again. Yes. And, and for and you guys love hockey and are familiar with the game, mm -hmm. but a lot of people, especially in a new place like Seattle, that's not new to professional sports. But if they follow basketball and football, they're used to seeing first round picks come in right away and bang. It's a it's they get they get right in there and they play, uh, especially in football. But the NHL is different. Uh, yes, there are players that can come right in and play. And we've seen it with Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and players like that. In Maddie's case, I hope it's that way. But I also know that sometimes it takes a little bit of seasoning. Sometimes even first-round picks have to play sometime in the minor leagues. I don't think that'll be the case for him. But we just have to give him some gr room to grow a little bit um, because he'll have enough pressure trying to justify his place in the draft and all of that. But listen, he has the makeup of a, of a champion. He has the makeup of a great NHL player. He's an intelligent player. Um, he's probably going to play the game a lot like his boss, Ron Francis, played, which is very <laughs> smart, very elite in all three zones of the ice. So uh, real quickly, uh, Dave Tomlinson was on uh, 950 the other day uh, and I, and they were asking him about Matty Beniers. And he said that, you know, he's not really the, the, the superstar that people uh, assume that he's going to be. He's more of uh, he, he compared him more to Jared McCann, which I love oh. the comparison because Jared McCann so far, he's doing it all. He's, he's yeah. not just scoring goals. He's uh, opening. He's giving uh, opportunities for other players to to score goals, and he says that's exactly what Maddie Beniers is going to be. Uh, in your opinion, uh, right. what what exactly is Maddie Beniers to the to the crack, and when he does show up? Here's my. This is probably not the answer either one of you want, or maybe the fans want. Okay, but over my career. I don't get too carried away with scouting reports or certainly comparisons. I think a comparison is really, really hard. Okay. I'll give you an example. We're going to see Elias Lindholm tomorrow night with the Calgary flames, right? He's been an mm -hmm. excellent player with them. He's a 20, 30 goal scorer on an annual basis. We had him in Carolina. He was fifth overall in 2013. And the comparison was Steve Iserman. Okay. It's really hard 
to label a guy. It's almost unfair to say that and then have him come in and you're always comparing him to that player. Well, he took a while to get used to the game. He took a while to uh, get used to the league and find his footing. He got traded out of Carolina. He got traded to Calgary. Um, and he's an, he's an all-star caliber player who might get some selkie consideration this year as a top defensive forward. He's a great two-way guy. But he's the number one center with, with the, one of the best teams in the league right now in Calgary. So I've never seen Matty Beneers play. And so for these two eyes, I wait to training camp or I wait till I see him play. Then I see how he measures up against the rest of the league. And then I go, I can burp up a scouting report. You guys can do research. You can, you can <laughs> yeah. go on the internet yeah. and read all these things. That sounds great. And, and if Dave believes he's like Jared McCann, good. He'll be an excellent NHL player. But I like to, you know, I believe in dreams in any facet of life. And I believe you shoot for the stars. And I think if he comes in, then what he needs to do is be the best player he possibly can be. And maybe that puts him in the Hall of Fame someday, or maybe that's not going to be the case for him, and he's going to be just a really good National Hockey League player. Um, that's okay, too. Um, the negative aspect would be he has a hard time, and I don't think that's going to be the case at all with him, but players have failed. Players, their first-round picks have not been able to cut this line here at this level. And have had a hard time with it. So that's how I look at it. I look at it because my all of my focus is on the NHL. I don't even like to comment too much on American Hockey League players and below because I don't see them enough. But I see the NHL. I watch three or four games every night and cover the games, obviously, that I have to. I'm at every practice, and I can tell you an NHL player or not. And so until I see that, I'm not going to even have an opinion on him. I want him to come in with a clean slate and then go from there. Love it. Um, uh, so, K so K Hart, you got anything for uh, John before he gets out of here? Yeah, I do. Can I we get a hey, hey, what do you say? Can we oh, get a yeah. We need it laughing. We need for it you, Kay, we need Absolutely. Hey, hey, what do you say? How's that? Yes. There we go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've never uh, done that like that. So thanks for asking. I appreciate I, that. That's, Thank you. That's a, I do have a I do have a real question though. <clears throat> yeah. Um so sadly, um the Kraken likely won't make the playoffs. Sadly. Yeah. However, yeah. will yeah. we still hear you come postseason? I think so. I, I think love so. it. I, I love it. So. Not finalized yet, but but I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think that you know I'm, I'm I'll tell you what's on the horizon for me. I'm doing the um, stadium series game in Nashville Saturday night for oh, NHL that is radio. Awesome. Yeah, NHL radio. So Joe Micheletti and I will be calling that rinkside outdoors, uh, Nissan stadium, Saturday night, Tampa Bay, Nashville. And then I'll fly into San Jose for our game on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. Mm, I mean, that's, that, that's yeah. dedicated. That's hard work. Yeah. That's a hardworking man right there. Uh, well, I will, I will say this. I will say this though: at least this outdoor game is going to be a little bit warmer than the than the last one in yeah. there in Minneapolis. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, um, yeah we were, that's right. So I got a, so I got a question. Did you see the photo of the guy whose beer was just completely frozen? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. <laughs> I did. I felt bad. Felt bad for him. That's a bad waste of beer right there. That's too bad. Right. Well, that was a beer sickle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good point. That's good um, point. Last question before I get you out of here, John. First okay. of all, thanks so much for coming back on here. Uh, Thank you, you. This is your this is your third time. You now are tied with Ernesto Lakeo for the most appearances actually on this program. Um, and well, it, let me let me let me just interrupt you because you know 
uh, all I was going to do today, because I saw the tweet last night about it, Everett and JT, very complimentary, and it should have been, but you said, you know, very soon. And I, I was just going to kid you today when I jumped on and DM'd you, and then you beat me to the punch by saying, you know, can you come on, which I love to do. And I, I know we couldn't hook up around New Year's. So anyway, that's how this happened. But uh, go with your question. But I'm, I, love jo- I love joining you guys. It's good. I enjoy it. Thank you. And, and we appreciate you. Ha- and I appreciate you coming on here because it's always an honor to have a, ch- you know, a chat with you, talk hockey, because it's, uh, I just had my NFL idol, Amon Green, on here to start oh, wow. this podcast. And I uh, had to hold – I honestly had to hold back so much emotion and tears because I it, he was on my Mount Rushmore of players to interview uh, oh, on this podcast, and I, and I was just so honored. But uh, last thing, getting you out of here. So yeah. glad to hear that you are going to be doing uh, the playoffs here. So this is a question that uh, uh, K-Hart actually asked a couple a uh, couple weeks ago to Avery. But um, this, so the Kraken may be getting bumped from the playoffs. But could we see the Kraken spoil the playoffs for multiple teams? Yeah. You know. Absolutely. What, what we all have to do. <laughs> right. That's right, k What we all have sorry, to do. Sorry, sorry. What we all have to do here is, and I would encourage all of us, is to take each game as one. Because the way this season has gone, the way, you know, it's underperformed in some areas, they've overperformed and beaten some of the great teams in the league. But I think, obviously, and I know this, from, from the top down, everyone's disappointed with the record, but not the progression. You know, and I think what we have to look at here is, and that's why I say watch each game as its own entity and then go from there. You look for improvement. Last night was a kick. Last night they did a lot of good things in that game. They gave the game away. You know, they they tied it. They're right there to push for overtime, and they can't sort out defensively. They get kind of all screwed up on a back check. Next thing you know, it's in the net, and they lose the game. Um, so where do they go from here? Tomorrow night will be emotional with Mark Giordano coming back to Calgary. There'll be a lot of emotion attached to the game, but how do the Kraken respond and get better? And that's what I've seen since the Denver game. You know, since the game against Colorado a few weeks ago, coming out of the holidays and all that, um, there's been progression through wins and losses. Um, I, I think they're getting to that point, and then we're going to see a trading deadline occur. We could have a vastly different-looking roster after that. How's that going to come into play? And then to your point, you're going to start playing some teams, and what you want to do is spoil their season. You want to make sure they have a long offseason. So if somebody comes in that they need the two points and they're in Climate Pledge Arena, don't make it easy. They won't lay down. The players won't. And the fans shouldn't. You know, and and if you're going to play the role of spoiler, and I've seen it because we went through 10 years in Carolina where they didn't make the playoffs. It's a lot of misery for the fans, but there were a lot of games where um, you were able to spoil the the season for a team and send them packing, you know. So that's kind of what it's going to be. But I think with this expansion team and this group in this season that's fought through so many different injuries, the COVID deal, the lineup changing all the time, no depth because you don't have enough pros in the minor leagues like other teams do. It's been hard, but they've manufactured some identity, and we're starting to see how they, how they want to play. They're not just reacting to the other team every game. They're kind of playing Kraken hockey, which is 
fundamentally sound for the most part, defensive, grinding. And when you see that, you know, you're on to it. And when you don't, you want to see how they respond the next game. So I think that's where we're at with this group. And um, I know there's a game tomorrow in Calgary. That's all I know. There we go. Uh, yep. uh, K-Hart, got anything for John uh, before he t- uh, heads out? Uh, nothing other than it's a great to finally meet you in person. I've loved hearing you on the call these past few years, Thank especially you, now in Seattle. It's great. I appreciate you, it. Nice to meet you. I, I, Hopefully talk to you again real soon. We will, and I got to tell you how happy I am. I'm really happy to be in Seattle, and and people like you two guys and the fans have been very welcoming to me, and that's what gives me the energy, right? So let's uh, right. keep an op- open invitation here. Uh, let a few weeks go. Maybe after the trading deadline, we can talk about what we have left, where we're going with that, and uh, maybe we got a Michigan Wolverine on our hands by then too. We'll see. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, okay. Real quick, real quick, before I get you out of here, the the, the yep. Thunderbirds are actually going to be playing at Climate Pledge Arena here uh, next yeah. Saturday. Um, I'm just curious, are you going to be uh, watching that game? Or are you going to be heading to that game? No, I'll be in Nashville. That's the night of the Stadium Series game. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So well, uh, I'll, I'll be sure that. to I'll be sure to take some pics, post them on uh, uh, social please, media, please. like I said. But uh, you enjoy Nashville. Enjoy calling that Stadium Series game and. Uh, John, thanks so much for being on tonight. We look forward to talking with you in a couple weeks. Okay, fellas, take care. Thanks a lot. Keep up the great work, okay? Keep smiling. Thank you. Thanks a lot, John. (laughs) Have a good night. Take care. John Forslund, everybody. Dude, I'm so glad that you were a part of this tonight, man, because uh, when I I saw your little thing, hey, hey, what are you saying? I'm just like, he did it. He he did the home. He he had to. Come on. Come on, how can I not? Are you kidding me? This, this guy's a legend. Are you, are you kidding he me? He is guys? a legend. How can I so, not? Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. We So we got plenty of time right now. We have plenty of yeah, time. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, like I was saying, having Amon Green on uh, for 40 minutes, I forgot to tell him what a big Batman fan I am because he's a, he's a huge Batman fan. Um, As he should be. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was such a blast to have mm-hmm. a talk with, uh, the my one of the four round, Mount Rushmore players that I wanted to interview in my life. Uh, my hockey one is Paul Korea, obviously. I, I grew up loving Paul Korea so much. Um, and of course, uh, my, my basketball one is always going to be Michael Jordan. I don't think I'll ever get him on here, but it, it's nice to dream. Um, baseball, uh, that's an easy one. It's, it's Ken Griffey Jr. It's always going to be Ken Griffey Jr. Um, but so here's a conversation that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. We'll it's, it's, it's about Matty Beneers. I know it's hard to talk about Matty Beneers, but it's not as hard anymore. Now, it's not at that this hard point, it's, so the thing about Matty Beneers now is it's just mm-hmm. hilarious to just see like how it all plays out. So mm-hmm. as we just talked about, he's probably going to go to the Michigan Wolverines and then come. So, but one of the things I don't like is how people are like, oh, this guy's going to be the next go. I'm like, it, it's not. Now, that see, true. I'm not. I'm no. not a fan of any of those <laughs> yeah. people. I, I don't like yeah. any because what I've seen from Matty Beniers, what I've seen him do, is th- he's not. He's not going to rack up that 50 goals. He's not going to be that Connor McDavid. He's not going to be Austin Matthews. Yeah. He's going to be that all around five star type of player. Again, I love the comparison that Dave hacks. Uh, that Dave. Uh, not Hacksaw, but Dave Tomlinson uh, compared him to. I love him comparing him to jo- to James or Jared McCann yeah. because Jared McCann he he sets up players for goals and he can score goals too. That's what Matty Beneers can do. 
He can do it at a pretty good level. But again, like John said, until we see him actually play, that you know, we, we can't make those types of comparisons. And like he said, we can make the scouting reports. We can, we can, yeah. we can do all of our scouting reports that we want to. Um, but it's, you never know that, you know, first rounders have come in and been a bust before, but you know, hopefully that Matty Veneers is not going to be a bust, but uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, this past game because you watched that game, the USA Slovakia game. Did you? Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, so this is this is the problem that I had with that game is again, you know, Matty Beniers, he was clearly the best skater out there. He was clearly the best skater out there, came very close uh twice to actually uh, came very close to actually making it uh you know, moving the USA on. Um, and then right there at the near the buzzer, you know, oh my god, that was the, the closest that I've ever seen to a buzzer beating goal ever. But the fact that Maddie Beniers was not used in the shootout, it, it it honestly just irked the shit out of me. It, it it pissed me off because one of the best, one of the top scoring young kids that you have on your team, and you don't put him in the shootout when you need him. It it was just heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to see it end like that. I don't know what it is about the Olympics, but for some reason the U.S. just can't get it right whenever it comes to international play. Like, Mm -mm. I don't know how you don't let him go in the shootout. At that point, you have nothing to lose. There is no next game if we lose. This is an elimination game. Like, And also, you know, maybe maybe this would have been different if the NHL players have actually played. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, we would have crushed Slovakia. Are you kidding me? Yeah. All disrespect. It would have been destroyed. (laughs) But, you know, I will say this. Credit to the USA women's team who who made it to the gold medal game. They didn't throw away their silver medals like the the Canadian team did that one year. Um, I thought that was the Swedes. Was that the Swedens? Yeah, no, that was the Swedes. I think the Swedes – yeah, because I think it was Linus – Anderson or something like that. Yeah, it was the Swedes. Oh, okay, yeah, Yeah. it was the Swedes. Okay, so my mistake, my mistake. But, um, you know, credit to them. They, they had a brilliant game, uh, you know, going into the gold medal game. They, it, but that gold medal game, Canada just out, completely outplayed them. They, they were just yeah. outplayed all around. Um, but kudos to them for getting the silver, coming home with the silver. You know, you, you have to be proud that you are coming home with the medal. You know, it's, yeah. it's when you don't come home with the medal that you're just yeah. like, that it was all for nothing. But you know, like you said, it, it's tough with the USA when it comes to international play because this year was supposed to be different. This year we were supposed to have NHL players, but all of a sudden COVID, you know, yeah. just it just started hitting like crazy. Now all of a sudden COVID's not all around there. And by the way, mm. uh, big big announcement, <laughs> like, yeah, it's a conspiracy theory. Yeah. <laughs> Tinfoil hat, yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah. Be like, be like one of those "Don't Tread on Me" Republicans with the tinfoil. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I mean it's it really did suck that the USA players did not get a chance to play in this uh, Olympics. But I, but I do believe that the next Olympics that is going to come around that that NHL players will compete in there because uh, we'll probably be completely past this pandemic at, by that time in the next four years, right. hopefully. Yeah, but it's yeah, just yeah. uh. You know, I, I think with the, I think if the 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 NHL players had been on the USA team, I'm willing to bet you we would have had a 
USA Canada gold medal game all around oh, on wow. both sides. 100%, 100%. But it, but it's but the, just weird. But the question is, yeah. is that could the USA men's beat Canada? <clears throat> I, I ain't gonna hold y'all. Not really, because and the reason I say that, <laughs> no, 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 don't, don't don't leave, don't leave. The reason I say that is because for some reason, and we can we can backtrack this, but for some reason, Team USA has never really been good at composing teams we can go back to the world cup of hockey when they left Phil Kessel off that roster they've for some reason they like to pick and choose like i don't know what it is but for some reason they don't get it right <laughs> they don't they they, they, they really don't, get don't. It right um but no i mean i enjoyed watching uh, watching this hockey the, really the, the only reason i watched the winter olympics is just for hockey that's it exactly. I, I mean and if, but of course i had to watch for sean white i had to watch sean white compete Sucks, but he's the goat of snowboarding, by the way. Right. Um, uh, real quickly, uh, one thing that I loved about Sean White was one of his earliest interviews on CNN. He was saying of like, oh, everybody was buying me drinks. And the, the CNN reporter's like, wait, you're 19 years old and they were buying you drinks? He's like, oh, I'm talking about Mountain Dew, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was... That sounds like Sean White, yeah. I'm just like, nice save. Nice save, dude. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, ending on all this, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the standings here because uh, the standings here for the, the the division look a little different than it did a couple weeks ago because oh, yeah. all of a sudden uh, Anaheim is now at number five, and they're wow. they're they're down there in the wild card. They're 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 third in the wild card, and you know they're they're not that far behind. They're only fi- they're 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 basically tied with the L.A. Kings, so. It looks like the Ducks, next week. and it looks like the, cha- yeah. the the chances for the Ducks is slipping away. But it's just they're they're getting outscored the last couple games coming out of the All Star break, thirteen to five. I mean, you're you're not going to win hockey games when you get outscored like that. You ain't got to tell me that. <laughs> um, so I, so I'll be honest. I was one of the first people that said the Ducks were going to make the playoffs this season. This was before the uh, Zekros did the Michigan. This was before. Troy Terry was going on this crazy run. I was one of the first people to say this. I can show you on my Twitter. I was one of the first people to say this. <laughs> but it seems like ever since December, the team just has not been the same. You know, injuries, um, COVID. You know, guys out because of COVID. They just have not been the same. So I'm not jumping off the ship that I'm that – I'm, um, God damn it. I'm not jumping off the ship that I'm <laughs> directing yet, but I'm getting kind of close. I'm like, I'm going to give it some more time because, you know, the, the, the trade deadline still has to happen. And it's not like we're Arizona. <laughs> I'm going to keep traveling Arizona until they get it together, all right? Um, but, you know, I'm not giving up yet. I'm not giving up yet. <laughs> well, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't expect you to give up on that one. Uh, so uh, before we get out of here, though, uh, real quickly, everybody, uh, be sure to tune in next week, next Thursday, because me and K-Hart are going to be on here doing the second episode of uh, bullshit commentaries uh, the uh, scott pilgrim versus the world it will be the first time in my life that i'm ever watching this film so uh two straight how about this two straight weeks of both me and k hart not ever seeing a film and it's going to be very interesting to watch this so uh, dude, oh, yeah. were you just were you just cracking your knuckles? Oh yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited talking <laughs> about this movie. I'm excited. Yes, I'm rubbing my hands together like Birdman. I'm excited. All right, <laughs> I'm excited. So, um, 
Uh, you're gonna have to watch Dante's Peak though on Amazon on on, on Prime. Probably, probably. yeah. I can so get some. I, money. I, can get I got the, I got the DVD though, so th- so that's good for me. But uh, I will. Wow, you're old. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I just... oh, before I forget, happy belated birthday! I did not get a chance to say happy birthday to you. Happy appreciate birthday. it. Appreciate it. I, I I had a really good birthday. I uh, enjoyed the hell out of it. I got to basically. Just relaxed the whole day. Got to enjoy it. Uh, smoked a smoked a birthday cigar. Went to a really expensive ass steakhouse in, out here in Washington. Okay. Uh, I will say this though, not really a fan of it. I didn't. I the the steak was prepared all right, but it's just it's a fancy restaurant where they put where they squirt like sauce around the steak. They put diced <laughs> tomatoes on the steak, and they had fingerling potatoes for some stupid reason. Okay. Those things were salty as fuck. I like it. Like it, it, you call someone salty. Try those potatoes yeah. and then tell me who's salty. Wow. I mean, it, bad, was, huh? it was bad. Wow. It was really bad. Okay. But uh, yeah, so next uh, Thursday uh, around, I want to save about, uh, oh, I want to say about 630. We're going to be going live uh, doing the movie commentary of Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And uh, we'll also be back the next day on Friday doing this podcast and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, entertaining everybody else. And uh, I just look forward to doing two straight podcasts with you next week, man. Likewise. Let's do it. I'm All right, man. Have a, have a good night, brother. You too. Take care. All right. So that is going to do it for this episode of Seattle Sports Diaries. But again, I want to also... Uh, quickly say thank you so much to all of our guests tonight, uh, Ryan Divish, John Forslund, and especially Amon Green. Like I said, it it has been an absolute joy to interview one of my all-time favorite players, sports athletes. It, it was so special to me because, again, I grew up watching you know him, and I and and like I told him, you know, he was the guy that I really rooted for. He was the one player that I rooted for, and. You know, uh, it's uh, it was truly an honor to have him on the podcast. I look forward to doing a movie commentary podcast with him. And I already have the movie picked out. I have the movie picked out. I'm not even going to spoil it for anybody else. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to have him uh, do a movie commentary with me on that movie, because I think uh, I think that I think that's his type of movie, by the way, that I'm going to pick. So it, it's not a horror film, by the way. It's not a horror film, but it, it well, uh, kind of a horror film. It's more of a sci-fi type of film. But um, yeah, so next week, uh, me and K Hart are going to be back here doing this podcast, but also next Thursday, be sure to tune in to to BS commentaries to uh, uh, listen in on the movie commentary of Scott Pilgrim versus the World, and be sure to check out the first ever episode where me and Michaela. I need to give her a big time shout out, uh, Michaela. Matt, Matt, Matt's, I believe that is how I, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Also be sure to check out her podcast, uh, PNW showdown, uh, her and her wife, Kate do that show. They are, uh, absolutely brilliant at doing that podcast together. They, and, uh, again, I want to give another huge shout out to Michaela. She did one hell of a job in the first ever podcast for bullshit commentaries. It was absolutely fantastic. And I look forward to having her back on anytime that she wants to do a movie with me. And I also look forward to her uh, coming on here and talking sports with me. So, uh, so long, everybody.